my mom had been just struggling in this marriage for so long. I mean, she was seeking the face of God. She wanted to get counseling, but my stepfather didn't want it. And so my mom had called and said that she's leaving the marriage. And to me, like my whole world began to shatter because for once in my life, things were normal and comfortable. Like that means that like the, the rock, not even the rock, but the foundation underneath me that I thought kept my life stable was literally about to be removed. I'm starting to have like panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And I, I would be at school and my mom would call me crying or, or something would be going on at home. And so here I am like struggling with these things. But once again, I'm a worship leader. And then I've been taught to like, you know, put up a good front and a good face when you're out in public, but then struggle behind closed doors, right? I decided for Christmas that I wasn't gonna go home. I was gonna end my life. Whenever I share my testimony, I always begin by saying that um, I can't illustrate or, or fully tell my story without sharing a bit of my mom's story. Cause I mean, it, it really speaks to where I am today and, and, and how I got to the, um, the path that brought me here. But yeah, so my mom um, is originally from Ghana, which is a country in West Africa. Um, she was born and raised there, um, grew up extremely poor. Um, and at the young age of about 20, um, was put into an arranged marriage um, with a man that she didn't really know um, too well. Um, and I mean, he was years older, about like, I think 12 years older than my mom was. And my mom grew up once again in Ghana, but in a very God-fearing home. Um, grew up really poor, but my grandmother um, was the daughter of an Orthodox priest in, in Ghana. And then she started going to a Methodist church. My mom grew up in a Methodist church. My mom grew up um, in, an, in, in a children's choir. Um, very, very, I mean, she literally found Jesus at, at a very young age and has stayed faithful to God all throughout her life. And so when she was put into the range marriage, um, once again, it was arranged, traditional. She had no say. Um, and so um, once the marriage had been finalized and um, she had been uh, moved to Massachusetts to be with my, my father, which that's where he was, the years had gone by and my mom had um, gotten pregnant in 1996 with my sister and my biological father had made it clear that he didn't want kids and so that she needed to get rid of the pregnancy, um, which for my mom, that was impossible. One, because at a young age, um, she was told that uh, having kids would be impossible for her due to, you know, something that she was sick with as a child. Um, and then the second thing is that she was a child of God. There was no way that she was going to give up her, her child. And so my mom gave birth to my sister in, on August 9th, 1997. Um, and throughout their marriage, there was a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of domestic violence. Um, number one being physical abuse, but then a lot of emotional and, and verbal and mental abuse that went on for so long. Um, and so after some time, my mom um, in 1999 had um, um, given birth to me. The abuse was still continuing. I mean, my father, biological father, wouldn't let my mom go to church, wouldn't let her pray, wouldn't let her worship, was very controlling. It became so dangerous to where it was life or death for her and her children. And she knew that she had to leave, right? And so what happened was my grandmother had come in from Ghana to visit us, her and my mom made a plan. Um, to send me to Ghana with my grandmother and then that would give my mom an easy way out to run away with my sister because running away with a, a baby and a toddler was was impossible. I was sent to Ghana with my grandmother and then sometime in 
August of 2000 on a random day. Actually, I shouldn't say a random day because it was actually planned by my mom and grandmother. My mom had been um, packing, you know, financially and, and, and getting things prepared to leave. Um, and then so finally she told my father um, that she had had enough and that she was leaving. And so fast forward, um, my mom and sister are able to get to Ohio safely. When her and my sister had finally gotten their own place, which was just like a, a rundown apartment, um, they slept on the floor for months. My mom told us stories about how like she like we didn't even have curtains and it was in a, in a bad area. And so she would take um, like the bed sheets and then use a clothing pin to cover the windows. And her and my sister would sleep on the floor. And then finally, they're able to afford a blow up mattress. Um, and then, Lord and behold, um, one of our good family friends was able to help them buy a bed before I came in. Um, so about a a, a year and some time later, I had finally come in from Ghana. I think I was about a year and some month or probably two years then. So it was just me, my mom, and my sister. We grew up extremely poor. I mean, once again, my mom had left everything in Massachusetts, had had no money, not too much of an education at that time. And so we were extremely poor. I mean, buying food was hard, paying bills was hard. Of course, we didn't know this. We were children. During this time, too, we were we were also heavily involved in the church. My mom um, was always ministering on Sundays, was always being a blessing to others in some way, shape, or form. And what was crazy was that, but yet we were struggling behind closed doors, right? And also people knew about it, but like it was a single mom and and, uh, and her two kids who had fled uh, a domestic situation, a domestic, you know, marriage. And, and here we are like struggling, but yet I would catch my mom still serving God with her full heart, still praying at late hours of the night, still fasting, still d devoted in her word. And, and it made no sense to me at such a young age. I, I didn't understand it. There would be times where they were about to evict us because my mom couldn't keep up with the bills. And then someone from church would randomly show up and then and then be able to bless us with some money to pay the bills. Or my mom wouldn't be able to buy groceries and someone would randomly show up and bless us with groceries. There was one time where my mom, she had given up. Like, like there, there was no hope. Like, like God, like I'm, I'm serving you. I'm praying. I'm, I'm trusting in you. I've seen you do it before. But at this point, like, it felt like there was no hope. And so my mom tells us a story of how there came a time where she was literally about to end her life and our life because she, she literally felt like there was no hope. And then randomly, a lady from our church called her and was like, I was praying and God put it on my heart to, to, to call you because I felt like you were about to do something. And so her and, and that lady became close friends. She would check in on us. We would pray together. And so the story fast forwards and my mom is able to go back to school, um, get a good job. And she moves us to a good safe suburb and in, in a small community in Ohio. I mean, we live in a, in a, in a nice small medium, I guess, medium sized home, three, three floors, like the upper floor and then the, the middle and then the basement. I mean, life was, was comfortable. It, 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 we weren't bawling or we weren't rich or anything, but you know, we had come far from where we we begun. And then in 2005, my mom had gotten remarried um, to my stepdad. And my stepdad had also been previously in a marriage. He had had two kids that were living in Ghana, um, God-fearing from what it looked like. Um, he was also serving at the church. Um, and he treated us 
you know, as any, I guess, man would, uh, he would take us out to eat and so and, and 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 care for us in certain ways. My mom was like, "Well, this is this is great. Um, he loves me. He loves my children, and he's God fearing." When my parents, when my stepdad and my mom had met, we were already doing well for ourselves in in a small suburb in Columbus. Through my mom's help and 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 her finances, um, my stepdad wanted to become a truck driver, and so that happened. And then uh, later on, he also wanted to start like a small trucking company, which you know, my mom was able to, together, they were able to start. And then in 2007, my um, little brother, who I love dearly, my half-brother, was born. And that's when things kind of changed, right? It felt like my, my stepfather began to realize that now that he has a child with my mom, he no longer has to really tolerate me and my sister anymore. Um, and so everything that could have went wrong went wrong. Um, he literally did a, a complete 180. He started to become very abusive mentally and verbally and emotionally, thankfully never physically abusive um, to my mom or sister, but physically abusive to me. I remember growing up, there were many times where he made it really clear that me and my sister were only here because we had to be, not that it was really of, of his choice. And he would lash out over, I mean, the smallest things, right? Um, and anything we did, I mean, he he, he was, you know, acting out in, in some type of way. He would always remind, whenever me and my sister did something he didn't like, he would remind us in tree, which is the, the language speaking Ghana, he would say, which means um, it would have been better if you guys weren't born. I mean, this is something we heard on a regular. So we thought it was it was normal. We're dealing with all these things behind closed doors and no one in our church knows about it because in the Ghanaian community, you don't talk about these things out in public. And so I'll never forget, there was a day where we had come back from an all night service, which is where you go to church at like nine to like 12 a.m., um, do a lot of praying and seeking after God. And you come back at like late 12, 1 a.m. I remember when I got home, I was crying because of something. I think I was about um, eight then. And he had, he was so fed up that he threw me down the basement uh, stairs and then locked the door. And I literally was there um, for hours um, on in, in the night and in the morning until my mom came and finally got me. And for the longest, my mom, um, we all thought that we just needed to do more. We just needed to like, may, maybe if we were more respectful, maybe if we cleaned more and we did all these things, we're like, we're the problem. We just need to change. We just need to do this and do that. But nothing we could do was, was changing any of that. And so as time goes on, like once again, we're, we're struggling behind closed doors, but who can we tell? My mom was a leader at our church. She was leading um, a children's a children's choir that had about a hundred plus kids. And we were well known in our church. And so you just can't talk about these things, right? And what was my mom gonna do? Get it, get another divorce, right? Like in the Ghanaian community, divorce just doesn't exist. You you just don't don't do it. You just stick in your marriage, stay in your marriage and and, and let things happen, uh, trusting that God will take care of it. But I had one friend, his name was Danny Toffee. Um, he grew up in my mom's children's choir. Our family were very close friends. He would come over to our house a lot. We'd go to his house a lot. He was the one friend that I was able to share a lot of these things with that was happening behind closed doors. He, he would in, in, in encourage me at a young age, or we would, uh, he would pray, or we would, we, would, we would just laugh about, like, you know what I mean? It, it was just, he was, you know, a great friend for that 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 season and for the rest of our, our lives because of all these things that were happening and i had no out there was a a, a god-sized heart in in my heart um 
that a god sorry a god-sized hole in my heart that um i didn't even know existed there was a hole there was a void because once again up until then our relationship with our biological father was very wish-washy he'd call in every once in a while at the beginning we would uh have to go to massachusetts for the summers because of court mandates and stuff but um he wouldn't reach out much. And so, I mean, then as a child, I didn't understand what daddy issues were. I didn't understand what a, a bad marriage was or what a good marriage was. I just thought everything was normal. This is the way life was. Um, but little did I know that like seeds were being planted into my life. There, there was a, a void, there was a hole. And I didn't know that, but I needed to fill it. And so um, pornography was one of those things that I ran to um, at a young age, probably, I think I was probably about 10 years old when I discovered pornography um, and no one knew about it. Not my mom, not, um, not Danny, not, not my friend, like no one knew about it. Cause once again, like in our culture, you don't talk about these things. And so here I am struggling with this thing behind closed doors, but also too, I had started to have anger management issues at such a young age. I remember there are many times throughout my childhood where I'd pick up knives and, and threaten to kill myself or like I would run outside randomly because I was like trying to run away or it was just, I, the small side of anything happening, I, anger would build up. Once again, my, my mom didn't understand where a lot of the, a lot of this was coming from. Neither did I because I was so young. And so time has progressed and I'm not getting any better. I'm struggling with this pornography addiction behind closed doors. All this anger and, and, and rage is, is built up um, on the inside of me as a child. There came a point where this struggle was eating me up on the inside and I couldn't do it anymore, right? And so we're, we're going to church and, 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 and once again, my mom is still very prayerful and um, still leading a children's choir. And so I'm, I'm seeing and hearing about stories of God. And I'm like, I, I've heard of, of testimonies and signs and wonders happening at our church. And I'm like, I'm struggling with this thing behind closed doors. I need that in my life. There's a day where I'm home by myself. My mom and sister had gone out early in the morning and my little brother and his dad had, had left as well. My mom thought they you know, would have taken me along, um, but they had left for the day to do whatever. And I wake up to a house all by myself and I'm heartbroken. And, and I'm like, God, like, I have no father figure. I'm all alone. I'm struggling with this. I've heard of stories of, of, of the God you're supposed to be. I've seen you help my family in so many situations. You've provided, you've done all these things, but now I need you in this moment right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling what I think is suicidal. I'm struggling with this pornography addiction. I'm all alone. I'm in darkness. I need you to step in. And so God, I surrender everything to you. And so in that moment, when I was about 12 is when I had given my life to Christ. It wasn't at church. It wasn't led by an altar call or anything. It was at home by myself. And so I began to develop an intimate personal relationship with Christ where I was praying on a regular, reading on a regular, also becoming a worship leader at church and, and seeing my mom lead by example. I was imitating the lifestyle that she was, I mean, she was loving on people. She was a true believer in and out, being um, submissive in her marriage, being respectful. She was doing everything, but still things were going right and in our lives behind closed doors. Time has gone by and a lot of these things that were happening too were affecting my performance in school. I mean, the thing too that was weird was that my behavior at home, uh, my anger and everything never translated to 
anything external like outside right um i always kept that at home so i was always well behaved at school and in church and everything um but my grades were struggling big time finally my family um in 2013 had decided that they they wanted a new change of scenery and just a new chapter to their lives. So we decided to move to Texas, um, the DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I kid you not, in that moment that we moved to Texas, it's like God literally did a complete 180 in my life. My my heart, I was still struggling with anger management issues little by little. I mean, God was uh, uh, softening my heart and God does a, a whole 180 um, where, I mean, I start, performing extremely well in, in, in school. When I get to high school, I become class president for all four years. Uh, grades were good. Social life was good. We lived in, an, in a nice home, um, a great community. Like we were, when we would go to church, like we were that family. We all dressed well. We we were happy on the outside. Once again, these things, the, the um, abuse was still happening, but behind closed doors. And at some point, it, it had become normal. But once again, like on the outside, like success is showing. Like we look like a, a good, happy family. People, when we moved to Texas and even in Ohio, people didn't even know that my stepdad was my stepdad. They thought he was my biological father because that's what it seemed like on the outside. And I'm not going to lie, like there weren't good times. Of course, there were good times in our family, but majority of it wasn't. And so... I'm succeeding in school. All these things are happening. And once again, like the pornography addiction is still there in and out, right? I'm, I'm struggling with it behind closed doors, um, but I, I'm getting closer to Christ and, and he's, you know, refining me in ways that I didn't understand. There's something called the, the Texas Association of Student Councils. So in every single state, there is um, an organization that watches over all the student councils in, in that state, like the student councils report to that organization. And so here in Texas, we have TASC, um, in 2017, 2018, I was elected the state vice president for TASC, which opened up a whole bunch of crazy doors. We are one of our state projects, our initiatives that we had begun was bringing human trafficking awareness throughout the state of Texas. CNN International heard about some of my efforts, invited me on for an interview. Like there was just success, success, success. So many things were happening in my life. Um, during this time too, like I was looking for I didn't realize it until later on, but I was looking for the approval of my stepfather. Um, and every time there was a huge accolade or something would happen, um, and my mom would, would be extremely happy. I mean, my mom has been my biggest supporter all throughout my life. She would uh, worship and, and, and kneel on the ground the moment you would give her good news. And even during the bad times, she was still doing that. But my stepfather would just look at you and go, that's great good for you. I mean, and then move right on. Um, he's like, his literal words would say that it, it doesn't benefit him. So that's like, that's good for you. Um, and so I'm doing all these things, not realizing that man, like, yes, I'm loving what I'm doing, but also too, I'm wanting the approval of my stepfather. Right. Um, which you would have thought that when I gave my life to Christ, that automatically I, I would have understood that, um, Jesus, you know, had everything, you know, to give me that, that, that I needed, right. Including, um, the approval and satisfaction that I, I was seeking for in a father. And so all these things are happening. I go to college, get a full ride, get a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of scholarships, like just crazy things are happening, but still there's low key, still something within me that 
feels like a, a void, some 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 type some type of, of of emptiness. Even though I'm I'm in close relationship with Christ, and 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 it, it didn't make any sense because I heard that once again, like when you come to Christ, everything like I mean that was the, the gospel that I was told was that everything becomes perfect, right? Everything is fixed in that moment. So why is it that I'm still struggling with these things behind closed doors? When I had gone to college, I wanted a school that was far away, but not too far, far away to where I could get away from my stepdad, but not too far to where I could still be around my mom and, and my siblings, my little brother and my sister. And so I chose Sam Houston State University. When I went to Sam Houston State University, I was extremely involved in, in, in um, a lot of extracurricular uh, activities and, and you know, just excelling in my academics still as I was before. But and then I decided that once I got to college, I no longer wanted to attend the Ghanaian church that I grew up in because I knew there was more out there. Like, like there had to be. And so I decided to start going to an American contemporary church, you know, not a denominational church. And so there was a ministry on campus called Chi Alpha and, um, a friend of mine um, by the name of Shelby Salkar had uh, met me on campus and I, I didn't know him. I randomly came up to you and, and then he invited me. Um, and there was a small group meeting that we had one day um, and we were talking about struggles and giving them to God. And people were opening up about whether it was lust, pornography um, and all these things. And I'm baffled because it's like, here we are, a group of guys, and they're openly talking about their sin and their struggles, which to me, that was insane. You're crazy. You're sick, right? But I'm dealing with the exact same thing behind closed doors, though, right? And so we get in the car. Shelby's taking me home. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Um, and he goes, hey, man, I feel like there's something on your heart that God wants you to um, talk to me about. And I'm like, no, I think I'm good. Are you good though? Is there anything you want to tell me? Um, and then he starts to dig a little deeper and it all just comes out. Th that was the first person I told after dealing with a pornography addiction for so many years, 2013 was the first time I finally told someone. Sorry, 2018 when I was in college was the, 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 the first time that I told someone. And I told him, and he prayed with me and we began to walk in accountability and little by little God was strengthening me and, and giving me clarity and, and, and helping me navigate through that struggle. I end up joining another ministry on campus at a, at a, at a second Baptist church on, in, in Huntsville that was led by, uh, Matt Johnson, who was my former college pastor. Throughout all this time, I mean, I have been involved in church all throughout my life. And so I couldn't go to a church without being, you know, involved or serving in some way, shape or form, right? That was what my family was all about. And so I became a worship leader at that church. That's where I went for like all four years of my time at Sam Houston. I was a part of their college ministry. I was a Bible study leader. Um, I was leading worship on Sundays, two services. I was at Bible study on a Tuesday, leading worship at the high school service on a Wednesday, doing all these things while balancing extracurriculars, while being an RA on campus. Of course, things are still happening at home, but once again, it's normal now, right? And so it, it's not that much big of a deal. And the funny thing is that college is where I truly learned what godly community was and what it looked like, um, but also too, what it looked like to share your testimony. I had never heard of the term sharing your salvation story before until I got to college because in the church that I grew up in, we had testimony time every Sunday when people would come up and share testimonies about how like they almost got into a car accident, but God delivered them. It was like, you know, things like that. So 
I had never heard of sharing a testimony, the sense of how did you come to know Jesus? I never heard of that before. Um, and so little by little, as I'm in this godly community in college, people are sharing their testimonies. And so when I would share mine, it would always be bits and pieces of it, right? Like I, I could now talk about the pornography addiction that I dealt with, um, but I couldn't speak of the things going on at home because that's a, 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 a tough, soft, you know, sensitive subject. I was always, depending on who I was with, I was always sharing bits and pieces of my testimony. Um, once again, this friend of mine that I'm telling you about, Danny Toffee, who was living still in Ohio, but like we were extremely close. Um, he was also in a, like one of the best worship leaders I've ever met, was still my best friend. We were always talking together and he knew the fullness of, of, of like the full story of my life, what my family was going through. And he never told a soul. And so during this time in college, I had been dating one of my actually like my, my childhood sweetheart from Ohio. We started dating again uh, in college. That was literally the, the only girl that I've ever dated my whole entire life. So in 2020, when COVID happened, I remember hearing like, you know, statistics and, and facts about how, man, like during this time, either, you know, families will um, get stronger and reunite or they'll, they'll, they'll break apart. And my mom had been just struggling in this marriage for so long and all these things were, 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 I mean, she was seeking the face of God. She wanted to get counseling, but my stepfather didn't want it. It had just become too much. And so my mom had called and said that she's leaving the marriage um, and that she's, we're, we're going to be moving out. And to me, like my whole world began to shatter. Because for once in my life, things were normal and comfortable. Like we lived in um, a, a good, comfortable, nice home. Like like life was good. Like that means that like the the rock, not even the rock, but the foundation underneath me that I thought kept my life stable was literally about to be removed. Like it was just so many thoughts were happening. What are people going to think of us? What are people going to think of my mom? They're going to think, man, she's been in, in her second marriage now. Like She's probably the problem. What's going to happen to us financially? Um, are, are we going to, am I going to have to drop out of school to, to help out? All of these things are happening. And then also too, a lot of the daddy issues that I never dealt with as a child and all the unforgiveness and the bitterness from my biological father and the things that my stepfather did, all started to come up because for so long they had been suppressed because when they were happening to me as a child, my mom would just always encourage me to let go and forgive, let go and forgive. But like, little did she know that like, I actually needed like to see a therapist. Like you just can't get rid of these things. And so all these things started to come up from under the rug and my life is falling apart. I'm starting to have like panic attacks and anxiety attacks and I, I would be, you know, at school and my mom would call me um, uh, uh, crying or, or something would be going on at home. And there came a time where my mom even moved from um, the, the downstairs bedroom, the master bedroom, even moved upstairs. And so when I'd go home, it, it was just, there was so much division in our home. So much was going on. It got so bad to where I never thought that growing up, I mean, you hear stories about kids that don't go home for holidays. And I was like, oh, like, I mean, it, it's sad. But I was like, man, like, couldn't be me. Like, I, I live in a nice home. I always enjoyed going home for the holidays. Um, it came a point where me and my stepfather's relationship had gotten so bad where I, I, I couldn't even stare at his face. And so um, I went home for Thanksgiving in 2020, ended up leaving extremely early because it was just the worst Thanksgiving dinner I had ever had. And so I had decided that I was gonna come back home until we figured out a way to move out. I had never understood the, the full 
the full picture of what depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts really were until um, 2020. And so here I am, like, struggling with these things. Um, but once again, I'm a worship leader. And then I've been taught to, like, you know, put up a good front and a good face when you're out in public, but then struggle behind closed doors, right? Um, and so, I, and also, too, like, it, there was just too much going on at once. So I couldn't really share it with our my, my college friends and, and, and family that were around. And so I decided for Christmas that I wasn't going to go home. But things had gotten so bad where I was losing my mind. And so I decided that that um, break, I was going to end my life, um, which I was an RA on campus. They let us stay on. They let RA stay on campus over break. And so I, I got to stay in my room. And so I decided that I was going to end my life that that week um, because, you know, I, I was by myself so that no one would be around to interfere with that. And then a good friend by the name of Austin Abbott, um, who's a uh, who's a former tennis player at AM, who I'd become really close friends with, randomly asked me, you know, what I had planned for the holiday. He was like, How about you come spend the the holidays um with me and my family? Which I was like, Yeah, most definitely not. Um, because internally I knew I, ha- I had a plan. And also too, to spend Christmas with another family did not sit right with me. I mean, my mom wanted me to come home desperately, but I didn't want to. Well, little did I know that God was literally using Austin Abbott as a vessel to save my life. And so I spent um, the week leading into Christmas with his family, getting to see what a good, happy and healthy marriage looked like. But also too, like, as I was there, I I was struggling because it's like, I want to end my life. Why am I here? And so the day before Christmas, I left because I wanted to spend Christmas by myself. And I didn't end up going through with the plan, of course. And then I ended up going to see my girlfriend at the time and Danny and friends in Ohio. At the end of that, the year 2020, my college pastor, Matt Johnson, was leaving to move to DFW for another position. And they're looking for a new college pastor. They had reached out to me to be the college pastor. Um, Once again, at this time, I was only 20 years old. My life was falling apart. And and, 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 and also too, the church was, you know, aware of of some of the things that were going on behind closed doors with just families and and, and the struggle. But, you know, they encouraged me that they would help me and guide me throughout the process. And so I became a a full-time college pastor um, while I was being a full-time student, while I was being um, an RA on campus, involved in extracurriculars. And my life was also falling apart behind closed doors. And I'm a worship leader too at the same church. I'm doing all of this and like throughout like that semester, God used me in one of the craziest seasons of my life. Like, I mean, I'm struggling with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts behind closed doors, but here God is using me. People are giving their lives to Christ at, at our college ministry. People are being healed from depression and addictions and, and things are happening in a lot of the, the students' life. And, and I'm doing a lot of these things, but I'm also struggling behind closed doors. And who who can I talk to about these things? And so it's like, after, a long day of, of preaching and leading worship on at a service and, and I'm praying for people and we're doing all these things. I'd come home uh, to my dorm as an RA and I'm thinking, okay, I'll get a bit of silence. And then my mom is calling me and she's crying about things that are happening at home. I mean, I'm literally losing my mind behind closed doors because there's no peace to be found anywhere. Um, I'm starting to get, you know, burnt out and uh, I'm growing tired and weary and I end up I think at the the next the next semester, 
resigning because it, it had been too much. And I mean, I wasn't getting paid enough to where I could quit the RA job and then fully focus on, on ministry. And I expressed, you know, with, with the pastor, if that could happen, they said it, it wasn't possible. And so I had resigned. And then when I resigned, the next day they called me back and said, actually, they can make it work. And so I I should have learned um, and, and had not gone back because there were so many signs that it, I just needed rest. Um, and so many other pastors told me I, I needed to I just needed rest. Even though you'd think that the college ministry was thriving, things were going good, I thought I needed to continue. And so I went back, um, stopped being an RA. All these things are happening, but like family life, there's still so many things happening, right? And and I'm still dealing with a lot of the depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And so that takes a toll on my my relationship with my former girlfriend, who was, I mean, my biggest you know supporter during that time. Um, had ended up breaking up with me and, and leaving because the relationship just became overbearing and, and, and too much for her, um, which is definitely, you know, understandable. And so that itself, I mean, shattered my world, right? Here I am where my family's falling apart. My relationship that I thought was, you know, would lead to marriage has, has fallen apart. Um, so much is happening. My depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and, and, and panic attacks aren't getting any better. I do the the college ministry thing for about another semester, um, and then I ended up resigning because it just becomes too much. And what hurt from that was that, I mean, the church that I was working with, who I'd, I'd given all four years of my time in college to, I mean, once I'd resigned, the lead pastor cut me off, the worship pastor, like just the entire leadership team of students I was working with, we had all, I had lost friends. It was such a dark season. There would be many times where I'd call my sister screaming and crying, like telling her that we need to get me checked into a mental hospital because I'm losing my mind. I mean, I was pulling out like my hair, like pieces of my hair. I mean, you couldn't really tell in, in, in person though. There were many nights where I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep, didn't go to class, wouldn't eat, suicidal thoughts against my mind every single day, 24 seven. All this is happening and as time progresses, I mean, things aren't getting any better, but we end up moving out of, uh, my mom ends up moving out of the house. I thought that would help, but I'm still struggling with a lot of these these things. I have all these answers for God of the depression, the anxiety, the suicide, like the, the daddy issues. Like, God, why is it that you would allow um, two men that were supposed to love me come into my life and, 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 and hurt me and reject me? I felt like everyone that was surrounding me had perfect lives, perfect families, they hadn't really been through many struggles. And so they, they, a lot of them thought I was crazy. I mean, so many of them, so many of my friends at that time would tell me, well, you just don't trust in God. You're not praying enough. You don't believe in godly community. You're not, you're not this. Maybe it's your parents, it's your family's fault for why you're dealing with what you're dealing with. I mean, the craziest things. It felt like for the longest season of my life, it was attack after attack after attack, one thing after the other. And it didn't make any sense. And my mom was, was, was praying and, 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 and lifting me b before God every day, every night, praying that God would restore my mind, restore my heart. I literally felt like the enemy had my, my mind in his hands and he was just playing with it in circles. I mean, I had no peace at all. Everything took another turn for the worst on May 23rd, Mon Monday, May 23rd. I had got, I had woken up in the morning and, and gotten so many phone calls on my phone, woke up and answered the phone. And I was like, like what's happening? Uh, Danny was coming back from uh, a trip from Ghana 
and had died on the plane from a pulmonary embolism um, and died instantly. When I say <laughs> I was sicker than, 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 than sick. And so we had laid Danny to rest months later. Here I am, no girlfriend, family is falling apart. The one friend that I'd call to for everything that knew me from the, the beginning of childhood. Um, and I could call and I talked to him, but everything had passed away. What do I do with my life now? Um, and so in this season, though, the funny thing is that I'll never look back and say that I was grateful for what I went through or the trials that I faced. But man, am I grateful that God carried me through everything without a doubt? Because I can't lie and say that through the depression, the anxiety, the suicidal thoughts, there were many nights that, once again, if it wasn't for the grace of God that was holding my life, I would have killed myself a long time ago. And God used this process to refine me and draw me closer and closer. And I started to see a therapist um, and through my mom's prayers and, 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 and conversations, my mental health incident went on for a good three years. It wasn't just until, um, it was just literally until recently, I'd say about in May of this year is when I can finally say that um, I wouldn't even say that I'm back to normal because even normal wasn't normal, but I'm finally at a place where I can experience, I, that I am experiencing blessings and, and, and peace and joy that I had seen so many others have. And one thing that I came to realize was that when we come to know Christ, a lot of times we think that for the longest in, in my childhood and life, I had thought that um, when you come to Christ, God gives you peace, joy, and, 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 and kindness and all these things like automatically. Um, and it's like, well, the thing is when you accept Jesus Christ, like all the gifts and, and the blessings that he has now become yours, but you just have to learn to walk in it, right? And so when it comes to the peace and the joy, I'm not having to chase after it. It's already there. I just have to believe it. I have to walk in it. I have to trust that God will be with me. And so here I am today, after years of, 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 of hurt and rejection and the daddy issues and, and everything that I've dealt with, th this year marks about, I think like 13 years since my biological father last spoke to us. If I, I'd be a liar to say that there aren't days that it doesn't hurt. I mean, there'll be times where I'll go, I'll be grocery shopping or at the mall. This happened just recently for like a Father's Day. I was at, at the mall um, shopping and I saw an African family. It was a dad and his two sons um, who were probably about my age or younger. And like, he's like shopping with them and um, playing around with them. And I, I'm staring at there for like a good 15 minutes and my eyes are just, you know, um, full of tears. Um, and so there are days where I still struggle with, man, like, what would it look like if if none of this, you know, happened and, and I did have my father in my life? But at the end of the day, I'm reminded that I do have a father. And as as cliche as it sounds, like, oh, like, like God is your father. No, no, no. I've, I've really come to know that, like, even if I don't have an earthly father, I have a heavenly father who surpasses everything one that loves me, one that I, I don't have to earn his love. I don't have to do anything. There's nothing that I can do that, that will separate me from the love of God. Nothing that I can do that will make him unlove me. All the things that I did to win the approval of my father, I didn't have to do this with Jesus. 
Like he, he loved me just the way I was with, with my struggles and my insecurities and my flaws. I say all this to say that I, when I, whenever I stand here today and when I'm leading worship, when I'm talking to people and I'm testifying of the goodness of God, I'm not coming from a place of saying that God is good because my life has been good or that God is good because life has been, you know, um, an easy path and everything has been handed down to me. No, that's from the farthest truth. But I can stand here and say that I have lived in the goodness of God. Why? Because through the most horrendous, darkest times of my life, there was a man who carried me in the palm of his hands, who never left me, who never forsake me, who, who saw every single tear and loved me just the way I was. That right there, I, I'm at a point in life where nothing, there is no trial or tribulation that can come again in the future that will ever cause me to doubt or question who God is because he's been faithful. Um, and I'm grateful for the good things he's done in my life and in my family's life, even though it's been tough, he's been good. So, yeah. Kwame, who is Jesus to you? first thing that comes into my father, right? He's not just my heavenly father, but also to my earthly father who sits in my troubles with me. The things that I didn't know that a father should have taught me through his word, through his guidance, through his love, he's my father and he's my friend and I'm grateful for him. Kwame, what would you say to those who are struggling in the darkness as you once were yeah. with depression, suicide, and and obviously we know that this is something that can be ongoing, right? Yeah. Uh, that comes in waves sometimes, yeah. you know? But to those that are in that space right now, maybe even are planning to commit suicide as you once planned, um, what can you tell to those who are watching right now? Yeah, I would say that the first lie that we're told in the world is that there's light at the end of the tunnel, false. If you're waiting for light at the end of the tunnel, you'll die waiting for it. But rather, there is light in the tunnel in the midst of the darkness, and his name is Jesus Christ. The journey won't be easy. Literally, scripture, one of my favorite scriptures says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but through it all the Lord will deliver you. Like, Jesus Christ is our light through the darkness. I don't want to quote too much scripture, but another verse that says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Like we are walking through struggles. We will walk through struggles. But I want you to know that even if you feel like you can't talk to anyone, there is a man who knows how many hairs are on your head. A man that cares about every single detail of your life. He literally knitted you in your mother's room. I mean, he, he knows everything that's to come in your life and he's with you. He wants to be with you. The question is, will you receive him into your life? Um, so you're not alone. Um, yeah. Now, Kwame, you, you mentioned that uh, it's been recent since you were able to get some breakthrough when it came yeah. to some of those things that you were struggling. Uh, since then, Practically, what does it look like for you now as in this new phase of your life of walking with Jesus? I think in this new phase of walking in my life, I've learned what my, my, my weapons are, right? Um, Ephesians 6 tells us, you know, that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Um, and then it literally lists out the different weapons that, that God has provided us with. I now know what my weapons are. 
I know that the Word of God, which is my sword, is my daily weapon. Um, prayer, worship, community, like all these things that, that I didn't really understand before, I'm now utilizing every single day. I mean, I'd be a liar to say that if, if there still aren't days where um, because of you know, struggling with remembering Danny or the little daddy issues that, that'll come up here and there or the unforgiveness that I'm, I'm, I'm still, the God is still working on little by little, those creep in every now and then. But every day I'm reminded that my circumstances do not define the joy that God has given me, right? I get to have and, and walk in God's joy because he's offered it to me. The world hasn't offered it to me. And so therefore, if God has offered that to me, then my circumstances can't affect the joy and peace that God has brought me. And so the struggles are still there, but I know what my weapons are now. And that's what gives me strength and gives me guidance every single day as I fight against the lies of the enemy and, and the schemes of the enemy daily. Kwame, could you pray for those who are watching who are connecting with your testimony right now, who maybe are struggling in that area, could you just pray for them as they're watching right now? Yeah. God, thank you for all that you've done, Lord. God, for everything that you've brought us through, through the trials, through the tribulations, through the good times and the bad times, the dark times and the light times, the the hopeless times, the time with hope, God, you, you've, you've walked us through everything. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, for those who are watching this, that have a void inside of them, that have a hole inside of them, that God, that only you can fill. I pray for anyone who's filled that void with pornography, with alcohol, with lust, with money, with um, awards and accolades and the short-term things of this world. Father, we pray that you reveal yourself to them like never before. God, open their eyes to see who you are. Open their ears to hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Open their heart to receive you, Lord, just as I have, God. And remind them, God, that you would never leave us nor forsake us, God, that even if our father, even if our mother, even if our friends, God, even if the people that we once trusted can leave us, God, you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. God, you promise that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So, Father God, we pray for anyone dealing with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, addictions to pornography, to whatever may be, that, Lord, just as your word says, that who the Son sets free is free indeed by the power of your name, Father, we pray that you do what you alone can do. God, I've seen you move in my life in so many ways. With someone who has a story like me, the world would say that there's no reason for me to serve God, that I should have left a long time ago, but God, I've tasted and seen of the goodness of the Lord all throughout my life, God, and I trust and believe that you can and are doing the same in the lives of others. And so, God, restore hope where there is no hope. Restore light where there is darkness, God. And strengthen anyone who may be dealing with ministry or church hurt. And God, those who may be dealing with abuse, whatever it may be, we trust and believe that, God, you are more than able. 
God, I thank you because I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And just as the song says, I have lived in the goodness of God. You're faithful and you never change. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Kwame, any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? Yeah. Um, what I would say is do not allow anyone or anything or any circumstance to convince you that God does not exist. Don't allow them to convince you that God is just a gigantic supernatural being who sits in the skies and is ready to condemn you and to throw you away the moment you fall short. I want to remind you and make you aware that our God is an intimate and personal God who not only sent his son thousands of years ago to die on the cross for us, but he's still moving right now, still breathing, still changing, still transforming. That same grace that saved you and I 2000 years ago is that same grace that will get you through whatever struggle. There's nothing too big or nothing too small for God. Thank you. Hey everybody, I hope the new testimony has blessed you, has encouraged you. Just wanted to let you know that if you are in need of help, that we have people that are ready to speak with you. So down in the description box below, in the comment section, uh, if you're watching from YouTube, if you're listening from our podcast, just look for the link that says, talk to someone who cares. Click on that, fill out the form, and somebody will get in contact with you locally. Now, this is only available to people in the U.S. right now, but we are working to get resources for our international viewers and listeners. But for right now, if you are in the U.S. and you need help, you need to talk with somebody, please fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you. God bless you, and we'll see you on the next testimony.